Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us. And Lisa Kutro, Dan Bukatinsky. So I thought we'd just start with origins here, and basically, I guess my first question is, you know, whence came Valerie? Where did you come up with the idea for the character, and how did it get from that germ of an idea to the series? Well, um, when I was in the Groundlings, you know, whenever that was, whatever year that would have been, um, I did do a monologue, character monologue, called Your Favorite Actress on a TV Show, and it was that voice and that very, very phony person who's on a talk show talking about how really, you know, it's just about the cause. I care about the people, you know, and, and not at all, you know. I think I only did it like three times because it wasn't very broad. But then when, um, you know, I was, you know, we were at our offices and I was winding down at friends thinking, what am I going to do after that? And I was really just horrified, struck with reality TV. Anna Nicole was the only, like, bio one, I think, and, like, the, the Osbournes, right? the early days of reality television. So. I know. I realized we did this when Amazing Race was only in its second season. So for us, it was like, oh, my God, reality TV is, you know, aren't we done with it yet? Second season. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I had seen The Amazing Race, and I saw a cup, married couple doing a, a competition, and the girl was, had to eat something spicy, and she was vomiting and crying while her husband was yelling at her. And I thought, but that's the most humiliating thing. A person, why would anybody sign up for this? It's, that's insanity. And so that's, that's sort of where it started. There's, there's a, sorry, Dan, no, go I ahead. I was going to say, I remember, and... Uh, also, the, the, the discussions about reality and where it was and seeing Anna Nicole let the cameras into her home and into every sort of detail of her personal life. Um, then when Lisa met with Michael Patrick King, I remember you guys went to a lunch and sort of talked about it and the character and it sort of together, the two of them grew this idea for a, a series. And it, it Yeah, we had one lunch that lasted four hours that started with why did our agents tell us to have lunch? I know you're done with Sex in the City and I'm done with Friends, but I'm not planning on doing another show. I really wasn't. Um, and he said, I'm not either. And I said, well, I mean, if I were to do a show, I have this one idea that I had you know, thought through a little bit more. And as I was telling it to him, he got it. It sort of inhabited him. And he took it like it's like I put out some sugar on the table and he whipped it into this beautiful you know candy sculpture you know he just completely got he said it's a show within a show and it was unbelievable four hours and after that he said you understand we meet for another four hours I think we have the series 
Well, you pitched it not long after at HBO, right? Right, not long after. And they said, write the script. We wrote it in record-breaking time. I have to tell you, the pitching, we were in that pitch, and I'll never forget it, ever, ever, ever. It was. It is the most difficult show oh. to verbalize to another person. I mean, you to try to explain. explain. And we were like, remember, I remember telling Lisa, like, all right, well, you'll, you'll, you'll be her. You'll be her for them in the pitch. And it, it just, like, I have to tell you, there's no... There was no comparison, really, and and ultimately, you know, not a word of it, not a word of that pilot was improvised. I mean, Lisa and Michael wrote that script, and it, it I don't know, it's I was admiring it again t- tonight. It's so tight, it's, it's perfect. It's, so tight. And without much rewrite either, yeah. I have to say, we wrote it really fast. It was great, and then we gave it to HBO, and they still, by the way, at a pitch with HBO, whoever was there at the time, I won't say who, wonderful. <laughs> People, though, honestly. No, no, really. But this is how they listen to a pitch. Like, legs up like this. <laughs> Just like... <laughs> and then we were done, and they went, I don't know what that is, but why don't you do it anyway? <laughs> They're that cool, exactly. you know. <laughs> you talk about the writing process, and in the interview in the magazine, Michael mentions that he literally would almost active stenographer and you would be shooting and then you come into the writer's room and you would literally just start Valerie monologuing essentially and he said at one point you apparently even hired or thought to hire a court stenographer to get everything down yeah we looked into how much that would cost <laughs> and it's a, too expensive <laughs> can't afford it so what were you channeling what, what was bringing these words through you at that moment I'm the character you know mm-hmm. just the character and the other characters and <laughs> the situation. I don't know. It's very hard to articulate. I can't. I don't know how to make it linear for you. Mm. You know, it's this. It's mystical. Much. So, I I don't I don't know. But we both were in that sphere. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And got exactly everything the other one was talking about. I don't. It was really Magical. extraordinary. It happened really fast too. That, it, that's what was crazy because I was saying, is this? Because that was the first thing I formally wrote. I had written it the, in the Groundlings and stuff, but you know, and with Michael Patrick King, that's a great you know first thing to write. And I was like, is this normally how it goes? And he said, no, <laughs> no, it isn't. Like, oh. Well, it, reality TV is such a great subject for this, and and I, like everything else about the series, it's so ahead of its time and in, in sort of predicting. I mean, it's satirizing, but the satire is so real. Mm-hmm. I wanted to show a clip, just a short one, of the upfronts. Yeah. Um, this is, some of you have seen the show probably know this already. I'll just set it up quickly. This is a, a, the second episode, yeah. I guess. The whole cast goes to New York to sort of present the series as part of this industry. The net. The net. That's the Caught net. in the Network. net. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's run it, and then we'll talk about it. But essentially, they're, they're reality show offerings for that season. just about great dramas. This fall, we will take our other programming to exciting new heights. Thrilling, emotional, important. And yes, we left some room for laughs. Room for laughs. Can't all be standing here with these cameras. I have people coming through. We're um, doing a show for this network, so we're allowed. Yeah. Show so compelling that soon, viewers everywhere will have no choice but to get caught in the net. 
Thank you. Let's take a look. Roll two. Up first, it's a whole new reality on the net. Life is full of hard knocks. Marriage can be even harder. So, how about it, newlyweds? Are you ready to take some knocks? Awesome. Let's see what you're going to be hitting with. A pipe, a shovel, and a board. Mondays at 9. Get ready for Take That. 100,000 for the torso. 200 for the head. Not for all the money in the world. Really, it's too much with you here. I can't work. Help me out. Help me out and just, just leave us alone. Jane, it's fine. It's fine. We'll move. Why didn't you come to dinner last night? Oh, I decided to stay in. Focus. You look so pretty. Oh, you too. Contrary to popular belief. The next show after that, I think, is America's Next Favorite Porn Star. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Which I think is probably on the air now or or something close to it. But again, I'm just so fascinated by how this show seemed to capture ahead of time how far TV would go to degrade itself, essentially. Well, yeah. I mean, and also, to us, the big joke was the Nextel recovery tent, which (laughs) now looks like, right. That's right. That's right. Well, there's a there's, there's a huge a sponsored something. There's a huge product placement kind of backstory to almost every episode, and I know that you and Michael in the interview talk about how at that time this was just becoming a major source of revenue for documentaries. But in the Palm Springs episode, you end up uh, Valerie and and her husband get a uh, Lincoln Navigator, but they have to mention the Navigator every time they talk about the car. You know. <laughs> It's, it's just such smart stuff and so dead on. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. But now it's just really commonplace. Now, you know, I, and I also think now the backstage guy wouldn't be so flipped out. You know, someone would have told him, there's a reality crew here, so right. you've got to let him. But at the time, and everybody was really hostile, and showrunners were really hostile yeah. because, you know, that's non-scripted. Yeah. <laughs> and it's cheaper. Yeah. And it's going to put them out of business. And it did until audiences went, wait, wait, that's not better right. than scripted shows. Right. So, yeah. Well, speaking of scripted shows, there's the whole sitcom on the show within the show of the comeback, Room and Board, <laughs> um, which is also pitch perfect. And I think probably could have been pitched to CW or WB and done quite well. Um, <laughs> really? Well, but that also was right before Desperate Housewives. Oh. So at that time, no one wanted to see a show populated with anybody over 34. Yeah. 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 Well, it fascinates me because there's so much, for someone who doesn't know a lot about the television industry, there's so many clues and glimpses into the inner workings of the whole process. The, the table reads where you see six, seven, eight network people, I assume, in the mm-hmm. suits. You've got, you know, the publicist who's always behind the scenes. You've got, you know... Uh, the director, the writers, it's just this fascinating kind of look at how much goes into something. Is it, you've worked on a sitcom for many years, you've been on a lot of sitcoms, guest starring as well. Is it, is it close to your experience of working on a sitcom? Yeah, it was close to my experience when I guested on sitcoms. Friends was very different. 
all together. You know? so? Well, in that, I mean, there were six of us, and we were all on the same level. And the writers, you know, Marta and David, the creators, were extremely collaborative, and we were all really respectful of each other. And, and you know, usually there's sort of like a power struggle or sort of like an <laughs> ego struggle. Who's getting more attention? And we just didn't have that, you know. So, I mean, I couldn't really inform those dysfunctions, right. you know. That, that wasn't informed by friends. But when I would guest star on shows... I saw it a lot. Yeah. The, the thing that I, I think that that Michael and Lisa and the staff and all of us were sort of able to accomplish in a show that kept being called just a show about the business. It really was. I mean, it was. It was. It, that was the world of the show. But the characters, the level of exposure, the desire for exposure, the stakes, who has power, who doesn't, and how you absorb the kicks. The thing about Valerie, I feel like constantly about the character is that you literally can drop her in any circumstance, whether it's in the business or not in the business, and you're watching somebody whose engine is constantly going. Yeah, constantly. watching her just keep stumbling and just knocking herself over, trying to run after that spotlight, which is just out of not interested, you know, and just out of reach, and she just keeps hurting herself, you know? And you'll notice that the characters, the guest characters, I mean, from Mickey to even Billy, who the day that Valerie hires him, she thinks she's hiring a PMK, top-of-the-line publicist, and in fact, it's the day that I've sort of quit because I was... Everybody has suffered some kind of kick in the head or humiliation that they're trying to kind of come back from. Almost everybody and every week. And, and, and I think part of what made every week's episode relatable on some sort of underlying level was that it's about that human desire to not show the kick, the defeat. Yeah. The defeat. Yeah. Yeah. And I think every, in a way, lots of different characters were experiencing that throughout every, every episode. It's very hard to watch for me at times. I mean, I've seen every episode a number of times. And... I remember, I think Alexandra Stanley at the time said it was the saddest comedy on television. Mm-hmm. But it is very. It, I remember her. Do mostly. <laughs> <laughs> Should have mentioned her name. Um, but what fascinates me is that your performance makes her alternately sympathetic, annoying, um, infuriating, mm-hmm. sad, Heroic. and and there's yeah, and there's this this depth to the. To the profundity to her emotions, that even though it's a, a, it could be called like a satire, it's got a lot of uh, heavy things going on, which I think makes it difficult in some ways for people right. to, to get through. I think one of the things, though, that's tricky to um, understand, and for some, for, for some reason, it's obvious to me, but that, you know, it's not so much that Valerie doesn't want you to see the kick in the head, it's just that she doesn't see it as a kick in the head. She just sees it as, oh, yeah, that again. Okay. Ouch. Shake it off and keep going because that's not important. But that is, you know, that was her fatal flaw, you know. Just get in that spotlight for no reason, which was the other thing we were saying about, you know, these, what are they called? Like, you know, these celebrities that, brands. Yeah. Like, now they're brands, but, you know, we didn't know that that's where they were all headed back then, but... That just to be a brand, to be famous for the sake of being famous, and you can cash in on that, but having had achieved nothing, really, you know? But so there's, that's, 
a big part of Valerie, which is, I mean, she knows what she's doing with the sitcom thing, that 80s sitcom thing. But, you know, she's really not interested in the art of acting or or any of that or she's not she just What's name? you got yeah keep your face out there you know <laughs> yeah you watch shows now like bethany i mean which i worship and i watch and i think but this is exactly what people who just the very fact that the cameras are on feel like they're alive because of it and, and the very active living every day. And, and to me, I, people would say how sad. And, and I honestly thought the, the tenacity and the ability to keep going for Valerie was so heroic and so admirable. I kept thinking, well, why, we shouldn't feel sorry for her. Are no, you she's kidding? She's indestructible. She, you cannot break her. Weagles wobble, but they don't <laughs> They keep down. trying, but they yeah. try. No, but in those, but Bethany, the thing though, and the Kardashians is that they are cashing in. They really are business sure. and a brand and they are doing Perfumes. really well yeah yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm not knocking that but what I'm saying is Valerie doesn't even have that I mean she's not it's really just is anyone watching I hope that's really not good enough that's not enough of a reason <laughs> she's devastated because her Leno is caught in a flood really well, you know, the, that's the, the problem in the interview Michael talks about how that was your idea that basically started the whole writing of the whole pilot was that there was a leak yeah. that she was not paying attention to and that was sort of the metaphor for her life yeah because you, you're so focused on that one thing that should really be beside the point mm-hmm. and everything else takes a back seat and then starts to you know it's not attended to and it will fall apart mm-hmm. By the way, there's a major leak in that room. We even get to the last scene, and the issue is not the wall or the. It is literally the damage to the it memorabilia, and to the people. I mean, it's it, right down to the end. It's yeah. sort of like, oh, who would do this? And the minute the phone call comes, it's all okay. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, it's okay. Except also, what was important was that there's no one. She's sharing it with strangers. Yeah. She doesn't know those, that crew. She doesn't know those. She doesn't know those people. And her big news is she's just—they can't interact with her. So it's this awkward, dead thing. Speaking of awkward, dead things, there's the, yes. the whole conceit of the show is essentially that. Uh, we're seeing all the footage, or we're seeing a lot of the raw footage. I think the original name of the series was Raw Footage, actually. Um, And the idea is that the camera's never off of you, and that we're seeing the stuff that will later be edited down for the series to come back. Mm -hmm. And I guess the interesting thing is that Valerie assumes that it will be the good stuff that's being edited down, and the audience is having this... It's like watching a suspense film. They're concerned that they're... Oh, my God, is a pitfall going to end up in the... mm, so there's a scene I wanted to show, another clip. Uh, I think it's clip two. Uh, it's when Valerie goes shopping for... It's actually right after an Entertainment Weekly article has come out that, that Valerie has seen, and she's very anxious. It says it's a reality TV dying or something like that. And you're worried about it not being sexy and exciting enough, your, your character. Right. She's worried the show isn't... She's not, it's, not in, it's not interesting enough, right. the show. So let's, let's, let's look at this one. Uh, need to return uh, some sheets. Okay, do you have your receipt? Yeah, right here. Great. I always keep the receipts. (laughs) It's more 
Have you been? find that apartment in uh, Venice Beach? Uh, that might have been Karen. She doesn't work here anymore. Okay, yeah. <laughs> where do you live? <laughs> Echo Park? Echo Park, yeah. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah. That's east, right? <laughs> um, up the one on one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm going to find other sheets. Nothing's happening. You know, no one's gonna want to watch this. Just keep going. Well, what what's gonna happen? Huh? What do you think? Sales girl can burst into flames. No offense. I think somebody needs an iced latte. There's a Starbucks right down the street. Let's go with. That just cracks me up. So, so did you ever feel like you were going too far in these moments? I mean, this is a half-hour show. Did you think, oh, my God, we're, it's too much dead time? It's, it's, you know... That didn't feel like dead time to me, though. <laughs> you were like, I, I don't know. They're I was so waiting alive. for something to happen. Yeah. You could, it was something was happening. Yeah. She was drowning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I love how she's like, well, she's going to burst into flame. Just how, like, when an actor gets scared, they're the most dangerous animal, and anybody could get hurt, you know. <laughs> there was another scene, uh, I think, when you're, I guess Valerie's waiting for Juna at a restaurant, and it's also an endless, she eats spread, and it goes on and on and on, but it's just so brave to do this on a, a show that's airing on TV. And I remember talking to you guys and asking if you ever thought this could be a network show and you felt that it couldn't be because it would be the tension would be broken by commercials, et cetera, et cetera. No, but also there's no way a network can put that on. Right. I mean, the pace of it's just way too slow. Mm. Yeah, there's no way. And broken up by commercials and title yeah, credits. That, and that too, but just the pace of the comedy. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, and especially when we did it, you know, it wasn't like set up, set up, joke, set up, set right. up, joke. Right. You know, 
Even single camera comedies at that time, or, and even now, the, without the laugh track, the pace of the cutting, The Office, 30 Rock, uses so many devices in order to keep the audience engaged at all times. And it would sort of ruin the tension of, the comedic tension, really, that this is all built on. Even, you know, in many ways, allowing Mickey to come into almost any scene as a, as a safe haven for Valerie you need the, the build-up to those moments when he would be like, I think somebody needs a ice latte. <laughs> so Robert Michael Morris played Mickey. Yeah. You had an amazing cast all the way around. Yeah. Um, how did you find him? How, how did he come about? When uh, Michael and I were writing the pilot, he said, I'll do the voice of Mickey because I know exactly who that should be. I was like, okay, who? And he said, he was my acting teacher in college. You'll, he'll audition and you'll see you'll see that he's right. Okay, yeah, you know. And then he auditioned. That was the first thing he'd ever done, I think. And he comes into an HBO network audition. And um, he was fantastic. And he brought me a gift, by the way. He brought me this necklace, which I wear, because I think it's it's good luck, because the show turned out good. But, um, so he, and he brought me that for the audition. And, he was fantastic, and he was up against other people who had worked a lot. And thank God. That's why, actually, you know, HBO, they are fantastic, because they went, yeah, yeah, of course. Of course, it's him. They get it. They don't. Yeah. Yeah, he, a lot of people auditioned for that part who had years of experience, some of whom were very well known. And he walked in there and was just, it was like Mickey walking into a room, and thank God everybody just saw it. There's a, there's a, uh, many other casting decisions are terrific, but the Mark Damien Young, who plays mm. your husband, was really a brilliant choice. Yes, that was Michael had known him from Sex and the City and kept wanting to use him in Sex and the City. And I don't know if it ever worked out or not, but he was like, that's who it has to be. And he just sent a tape. Like, we didn't make him come out or anything, and we hired him from that. I mean, HBO said yes. Yeah. What? Tell me why it was important for you to have for you and Michael to have Valerie have this husband, this particular husband. You know, not in the business, mm-hmm. successful, mm-hmm. very supportive. Yeah, because what I wanted, what what we wanted to show was that um, Valerie didn't need this job, or you know, she didn't need it. She had a husband who loved her. And he was wealthy enough that she didn't really have to worry about paying the mortgage. Or, you know, She didn't need this job. She didn't need this humiliation. She was really just running after it. And so it's that thing of like when your priorities are just way off. I mean, she had everything she needed. But no, she wanted that. Yeah. More. Not even more. It's just that. Thing. <laughs> and, and Jane, the producer, is Laura Silverman. Laura she was Silverman. so great. Yeah, I will take credit for her because when we were writing the pilot, I knew I knew Laura from um, Dr. Katz. Do you have you ever seen Dr. Katz? Uh, I know. And she was Laura, the secretary, and I thought she was fantastic. So I just had her voice in my head, and I knew that she could just knock it out of the park. Yeah, because it's hard not to perform. And great actresses would come in, and they would just be performing too much. Because at some point, you're, when they'd audition, 
you're, you close your eyes and you listen because you know you're not going to see them much. So you want to hear how it sounds. And it was just a little too much of a performance. Yeah, but all, Laura was perfect. All those actors felt like non-actor actors. Like they were, they were, they felt very real. There wasn't any kind of a, they felt like regular people in this rarefied world of Hollywood, essentially. They were unbelievable. Yeah, I think, I think the casting, we, we saw so many, so many guys for the showrunners. And they became so iconic. Well, listen, I mean, we, in, in the world of comedy television, they head writers, showrunners are kind of icons in and of themselves. They're types. They are, they are prototypes. And there's something about that combo. And when we finally found those guys, and it took time, because it, it had to be exactly the right combo. Yeah, we'd mix and match people as they came in. But, um, you know, I had said that from friends, that experience didn't inform this at all. Um, and that's true. But Michael had been on a lot of shows. And then, you know, the the writers, you know, that wrote the show after we got picked up, they had all written on other shows, and everyone had almost the same experiences, but with different versions of these guys, or the actors, or the network, and it's all the same. Yeah. You have a quote, it's in the interview uh, in the magazine, I think it's, it's a quote about writers. You say, and I quote, um, when things aren't going well, there's no more dangerous an animal than a writer. Oh. I said that. I uh-huh. think I meant an actor. Oh. Maybe I got the transcription wrong. Well, maybe. <laughs> but, I mean, it's a fine line sometimes. Yeah. And I, obviously things are not going well on this show, and Valerie is pushing all the wrong buttons on Polly G, and I think to a certain degree, Tom as well. Um, this was not your experience, obviously, on Friends. It was a yeah. successful show, and there were good writers. But Michael, I think, had said this is something that happens fairly often. There tends to be a lot of hostility between yeah. the writer's room and the actors and a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. tension. Well, there is. And, I, and, and part of it is, I think, part of it is that the actors are getting all the accolades and the writers, you know, no one knows who they are. Right. And if it weren't for them, there wouldn't be a show, right. <laughs> you know? Right. And... Um, I think part of it's that, but the other part is just that, you know, in some ways the actors just have more power. Yeah. Because they're the ones that you can't do without. Mm. And sometimes, depending on who's running the show, who's looking out for you, you if you're a writer, you can get replaced really easily. Mm. And um, it's, not, it's not fair. And I think it's probably really infuriating. Mm. Well, speaking of infuriated writers, yes. I thought we'd do one more clip. Um, this is a, from, I think it's from episode six, and it's the scene where Valerie decides she's going to be a good pal and oh. make cookies for the writers God. and visit them. <laughs> okay, Some yeah, this is brutal. People have seen this one. So, just to sort of illustrate the worst case scenario for the writer-actor relationship, so let's take a look at this. This is a clip three. Isn't this fun? Like a secret mission. <laughs> it's always fun to reward people for their hard work, show them you appreciate them, and then they in turn appreciate you, and the wheel goes round. Karma. <laughs> oh, this is it, Jane. This room with the lights on. Yeah. <laughs> well, you should get this. What are they up to? <laughs> oh, dear. 
supposed to be you? <laughs> wow, look at him go. Late night treat. <laughs> thank you. Ah, oh, you're welcome. No, thank you for all your hard work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Milo, Polly, Zach, Gigi, Arthur. All right, I'm going to sneak out, okay? Let you get back to your work. Yeah. Plug it away. All right. <laughs> Um, in the writer's room? The, yeah. Uh, Jane, that was nothing. Really was. Just, you know, writers blowing off steam. You know. So you don't take that personally? Oh, please. No. No, it's a comedy show. You know, that's, you know, part of the creative process. So, yeah. So you don't see that as a personal attack? <laughs> Jane, you really have to lighten up. Okay? Tack of what? Tack of the giggles? <laughs> no. It's late. We should all go home, I think. Okay, you're going to drive? Dark day. We're all going home, so go back to your home. You're supposed to be fucking her, right? That pretty much illustrates your point about uh, what Valerie will, what, what abuse she will take and still rise above. Yeah, but I mean, look, the thing is, this is where I might be a little weird, but that is actually how I feel about writers. It's very private in the writer's room. They do let off steam. They do trash the cast, I mean, nonstop, because that bitch fucked up my joke, or, you know, and, but that's their place to do it. And I, I know, am I a nut? But, and, but that's their place to do it. And, and it's supposed to be private, and it's not supposed to be out there. I mean, Valerie step, I, well, and they have to have that outlet, I think. I think. Valerie goes to the zoo after hours, when the zoo is closed, and creeps to the lion's den and with fresh meat, and it opens up the cage... And actually walks inside. And you don't you know, after it's done, you're like, was she brave? Is she, d-? it's, it's exactly what you're saying. I Am mean, I dumb? Dumb. Is that what you're about to say? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I no. just think, you know. No, and, also you, and after Valerie sees it, she doesn't turn around. And she's like, oh, you know what, guys? N- not a good time. Not a good time. She, she could have. Yeah. She rose above it, went through the door, brought But it's also, cookies. you don't have to like me. Just whatever you're writing, make it good. Right. I don't care. Right, right. Give me a good it's line. not important because... Maybe it does bother me because you're not important. So just write it and make it good. I don't know. Aha. I don't know. <laughs> well, I want to open it up to the Q and A in a few seconds. I just wanted to ask a couple questions about the sad demise of the show and untimely demise of the show. I don't. I can't understand why 
it was canceled. I'm sure you have your theories, and I'd love to hear why you think it was and how that all went down, essentially. Hmm. Oh, well, I mean, the, the simple thing, what I heard um, a few years, a couple years ago, was, you know, a new regime came in, and, and what I was told was, yeah, we stopped being HBO for a moment, to be honest with you. Sorry, it was a mistake. Because it was supposed to be HBO, not TV. And, you know, for that split second, they were TV for a moment, you know, and, um, and they canceled it. I, and then we also heard that it was back and forth every day, or within a day, back and forth. You know, cancel it, pick it up, cancel it. I don't know. It took a long time. I mean, we were, we were it, it wasn't a vast decision. It, we, we went a very long time, I think even after the show stopped airing, while we were still waiting for an answer. And, you know, the sh- HBO had taken a lot of heat for airing simultaneously um, a lot of shows that happened to be about the business, extras and this... Unscripted. Unscripted and the comeback. Entourage. Uh, and, and Entourage was continuing. And, and it was at a, a year when corporate was coming down hard on cable for actual dollars and cents and numbers. And, and also the critics were really tough. That was like that moment in time where critics were tough on HBO. There were a lot of, I mean, we got great reviews, you know, from people who really mattered. Um, and then the people who, no, they, I mean, yeah, Tom Shales, you know, wrote wonderful things. And then the, the ones that weren't great, like within months, like came back and sort of said, oh, by the way, let's take another look. It's nice. actually really good. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think I, mean, I don't know. Television is very misogynistic, and that has not changed. I, I honestly believe that you can watch Larry David humiliate himself. You can watch um, Ricky Gervais humiliate himself. Steve Carell humiliate himself. People have no problem. But to see a woman who I felt was very strong and heroic and knew what she wanted, not needed, but knew what she wanted and continued to go after it, and it was really uncomfortable for a lot of the male, I think, suits. At, and, well, and I, I know. I, I mean, I've thought that too, but we're going to have a debate. Is that all right? But I mean, I also, I'm not sure if it's, you know, misogyny or, you know, women are still not that white, white male power position. So it's tough to make fun of the victim, even though we don't really in general think of women as victims but you know they are to be a little protected and I think that's what made people uncomfortable but um but after you've seen it and then you see oh she's gonna be all right and it's like it's a little less uncomfortable and then every time you see it you just end up laughing more than you're cringing so it's still infuriating but it felt like this pro this show was a two-season process to me this wasn't you know I wasn't thinking in terms of you know, well, that first season, we got to sell it. It was like, it's HBO. They're just going to leave it on like they did Sex and the City and everything, you know, Arliss. They'll just leave it on, you know. And Seven seasons of Arliss. They'll just the leave it on. And then by the second season, that's when it's going to kick in and everyone's going to go, oh, I get it. And it'll all be fine. And I really, it was a big shock, I think, to everybody that HBO just didn't leave it on like they did Arliss. <laughs> Well, let's, let's open up the questions. You, you are obviously diehard fans, so uh, please ask away. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, huge fan. I think you're brilliant. Oh. Anything and everything you do. Wow. Um, <laughs> that's true. Um, 
I just wanted to know, because at the end of the first season, I mean, obviously it was going to segue into a second season, I was just curious to know if it was decided where Valerie was going to go, because it seemed like, you know, she was finally coming out on top after the whole run out, and everything was just kind of picking up for her, so right. I just wanted to know, like, how it was just going to keep going. Yeah, what we were going to do is, when we'd come back... Um, because the reality show Comeback was doing so well, Valerie did have a little more power. She fired, had got Polly G fired, and Gigi would be in charge, and then Gigi would turn into a nightmare. <laughs> and then there were going to be some, um, some problems with her marriage, because you can also see Mark is a little in shock that all this is happening, and she's liking it. Sure. Thank you. Um, I agree with Todd. There's nothing like that on TV, and I really miss the show. I miss you. I hope you'll come back soon. But I think that part of what makes the show um, like so amazing and so like sometimes uncomfortable is that there's so much sexism around in LA in the industry. There's so much ageism, and it's not just Valerie. It's just all these people around her, and not you know they're, that make you uncomfortable too, just as people. Mm-hmm. And I think that even like listening all the commentary tracks from the DVD, there's like so much focus on Valerie, you know, it's like, it's almost like she's the only wrong, for, you know, like there's, there's nothing else that's sort of like structurally wrong, and there's so much that's structurally wrong in the industry, and right. the way people relate. So I guess that's my only question, like looking back, do you think that, would you maybe have explored some of those things more on the second season, or, or, or do you even think that the industry is sexist, or that there's so much wrong in industry, not just with people. Right. I mean, well, huh. yes and no. And I know for Michael, the, the, the age issue, aging women especially, is something that bothers him a lot, that it's like, you know, women past a certain age just become invisible, otherwise you'll make me mad. And, um, you know, I know that's something he is really interested in. And, um, yeah, I think there probably would have been a little more of that. Um, and also, but just... You know, the way the network also, the problem is that they're not, you know, the focus isn't on good material. Is it a good script? Is that good storytelling? How is it crafted? That, that wasn't the focus. The focus was, all right, what are people going to watch, like, immediately? Like, we don't care if it, you know, burns out after two episodes. Just we need the ratings tomorrow, you know, um, that it's all too short-sighted. And I think that's what we were exploring. We would have continued to explore. And then, you know, just on the Valerie side also, just that desire to spin everything into it's all going really, really well. You know, (laughs) I'm doing an independent film, and what is really happening is Mark is paying for an AFI student to (laughs) shoot a film and put her in it. You know, it's that kind of stuff that we were going to... Yep. So there's been two Sex and the City movies, what do we have to do to get you to a company? <laughs> Pay for it. I think, um, I don't know, I was going to make a joke about it. I have to lose weight and get younger. Um, and do look like I really enjoy oral sex. So that men would be interested <laughs> in watching. Um, but that's a joke <laughs> that I would be making. Um, <laughs> but I think it's true. 
<laughs> I think it's ultimately true. I mean, you know, there was a big um, appetite for sex in the city, uh, you know, for all, a lot of reasons. And um, I don't know. I don't think we've seen the end of Valerie Cherish, and it's just a matter of... That's just my feeling. I can't not... I, I have, that's how we wake up every day and have to feel like, all right, there's going to be a time when it's just right, and it will happen in the right way, and it maybe will be a movie, or maybe it won't be a movie. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be right. And Michael and Lisa, you know, it has... We talk about it every time we have lunch. It we comes up a lot. Through, what if this happened or that happened? Oh, my God, what if we did? That's hilarious. Yeah. And we're almost, like, right there. And then he goes and writes a movie for Meryl Streep, Oprah Winfrey, and Sandra Bullock. <laughs> So he's not available. <laughs> and he's shooting two pilots right now. <laughs> he's crazy. <laughs> Successful. But. Uh, you talked about how in the pitch room it was hard to describe to them like what, the show. So I guess as far as the development and creation of a pilot, do you think there's a pro, pros or cons either way to trying to pitch a script versus trying to pitch... Like you produce and make your own pilot and try to pitch that, besides obviously getting someone to pay for it? Well, look, if you produce and make your own pilot and you show them, you know, that, Mm -hmm. then it's going to be more in line with what your vision of the show is going to be than if you sit in a room and you pitch it. Because you might be saying, whatever you're saying, like a 34-year-old woman who is tired of her life and they're imagining... Desperate Housewives, that could be good. You know what I mean? And that's not what you mean. So that's the only way I think you're in control of your vision of it. Unless you're J.J. Abrams, and you walk in and you say, here's my idea for sold. (laughs) And also, don't forget, there was enormous track record in that room. In other words, HBO had no idea what the fuck we were talking about. But it was Lisa, and it was Michael Patrick King, and there was no way they weren't going to let us take a shot, thank Christ. Well, it was Michael Patrick King, who had just made them a billion dollars on the series Sex and the City. There hadn't been a movie yet, so... And Lisa Kudrow, who had been in for ten years on a show called Friends, literally within a year. No, I know, but, you know, it's a liability when you've been on a show for ten years, and you're presenting an idea that has nothing to do with the character that the world knows you as. That's not... That's not a good thing. But even Michael, who had branded himself in some ways with the Sex and the City thing, what people expect, what Hollywood likes, is for you to keep doing what you've been doing successfully forever. And when you come in and you say something that does not sound like what you've been saying for five years, it's very daunting. Um, but when you're starting out, I mean, I've been writing also, and, and I, the, the pitch process, as opposed to creating something from your own mind and your own vision and controlling it, as Lisa was saying, there's nothing better than being able to prove your point of view with a finished product, whether that be a script or the finished film. So a verbal pitch is always tricky, because when they buy it, it, it's going to become theirs pretty quickly. But that's all you're allowed to do. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't, I don't know how many choices you have. pilot was very tightly scripted. Um, I just wondered if there was a lot of improv in later episodes or at all. No. I mean, I think maybe a little bit, like at the end of something, or, but not within the body of it. You know, at the end of a scene, I mean, maybe there's a little something improvised. But no, 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 no improvising. It was 100% scripted. Were any of the actors from the Groundlings? Um... 
Yeah, there was a... Oh, yeah, yeah. The girl who does the progressive commercials, you know, the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, she played the Juna's publicist. And I think she was, she was Groundlings. She was Groundlings, and um, I don't know. I don't know. Don't Jennifer Lee Cox, right, was Groundlings? I don't think so. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Well, it is on Sundance. Arguing with me, yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you beg to differ. What? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wow. No, I see, and I that was not my. That's not who I was thinking about when back in the groundling days of doing that. (laughs) Thanks for clearing that up. It's not Shelley Long. It's really a composite, honestly. Oh, my God. (laughs) I feel like, you know, if we ever do something with it, I will be spoiling it by telling you where I think she is right now. All right. I think she's trying (laughs) to get on. I was was counting in my head. Three, two, one. (laughs) You know, I can't help it. I think she's trying to get on a reality series. I think she's trying to be a housewife. (laughs) <laughs> and I think she's trying to brand she's trying to come out with a, a product you know she's trying to have I, I always think that in addition to whatever else she's doing now you know she, will ha- she has to live in a world where the Bethany's do exist and the Jill's Aaron's do exist and it's like I'm on a piece of that so I don't know what the product would be but I, I always sort of thought that there'd be who knows there'd be something that someone tries to sell her to help sell on a Guthy Ranker, you know, infomercial. Or I think she's in like a New York City acting class and trying to get herself to Broadway and, you know, not taking it in at all. Just there. To be there. I would love to see her in Mamma Mia for six weeks. <laughs> the put in rehearsals. I'm doing Mamma Mia. Just a couple more. Oh, go ahead, right there. Um, do you think that if the show had continued, that it would have changed the way that Hollywood views women after a certain age? Like, I look a lot at The Office, and I, I just think that what you did on the show was, even though The Office is very good, was so much more brilliant and so much more true to life. And I just wonder if what you think of that has continued on, if you think that you would have made any changes to the way that people view that's a good question. Would Hollywood have changed the way people or Hollywood changed the way they view older women? Or 
Mm. Um, I, if it's a success, then yes or no. Because, you know, whenever there's, you know, even Sex in the City, the first movie, was the biggest surprise in the world for some reason to the studio, as if no one was really watching it before and no one would be interested. I mean, whenever a female-driven movie is successful, whatever studio it is, is always in shock that that happened. So, you know, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. But there has been a shift, like even the last six years, with Desperate Housewives and with the fact that the demographic of people under 28 watching television on the internet and not so much on television anymore the the it's harder to sell i know but just because every year i'm now amazed that i cannot sell a television show if it involves anybody under 30 and that never would have happened you know the juna the whole room and board kind of show that was so hot now it's really hard to sell a show without characters that are over 30 because they really believe that no one's going to be watching characters that are under 30. No, because no one over 30 is watching, um, no one under 30 is watching TV. They don't even maybe have TVs. So, you know, I think it's that. But I also think with Desperate Housewives, really what that did was, yes, at first I was really happy that there were these older women on TV until I realized, but they're older women who don't eat and only work out. <laughs> you know, and, and they're gorgeous beyond reality. So, I don't know who that helps. <laughs> All the way back. You know, you, you talked about Larry David earlier and all those men that have kind of had that conversational comedy, and I feel like that kind of had a Gutman moment with Christopher Guest to kind of begin with. Sorry, I've had a little bit of it. <laughs> I'm also Southern, so that might not. Oh, it's the Southern. (laughs) (laughs) What you did was raise the bar so high that I feel like no one else could have even gotten near what you did. And what's so sad is that had, and I don't mind using names, I don't know him, I I work at a store, but (laughs) if he had had the name on that comeback, honey, that would still be running. And it's really all about, I think, for me, men not understanding women and the power that they have with comedy and timing, and they're afraid of it. Absolutely afraid of it, because, honey, you're a tiger. And that's- <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You know, two and a half men and Joey have a popcorn to your face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to No, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> what a way to... <laughs> No, my response is thank you. (laughs) And thank all of you for coming tonight. And please check out, if you haven't seen it, Web Therapy, Lisa and Dan's brilliant. Thank you, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening. The Pinewood Dialogues at Museum of the Moving Image are made possible by generous support from the Pannonia Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit www.movingimage.us.